Thanks for tuning in to the Life in the Front Office podcast presented by Suju Organic, where we inspire, educate, and provide advice and insights around those who are in the sports business and entertainment industry. Please follow us on LinkedIn and Instagram at Life in the Front Office. And don't forget to follow and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. Lastly, get your 15% off Suja at sujaorganic.com with the code LIFO, L-I-F-O, and enjoy today's episode. Welcome to today's episode on the Life in the Front Office podcast presented by Suja Organic. Excited for my guest in Teresa Elworth, uh, c- customer success manager at Huddle. And we're going to talk a little bit about for her journey uh, in professional basketball, playing overseas, uh, playing in college, and then making that transition from the playing world as an athlete to the working world. And then a little bit about the identity component of what gets all wrapped up into that. So nonetheless, Teresa, welcome. Well, thanks, Jake. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. So for those who are listening, we'll kick it off with your journey, but um, how did you get into basketball at an early age? Was it something that you uh, specialized in or were you playing multiple sports along the way and then you just decided to pick one? Yeah. um, So when I was younger, I actually played a little bit of everything. My parents let me kind of test out all the sports. Um, and naturally I gravitated towards basketball. I didn't, they didn't really have me like go to one or another, but, um, yeah, I just kind of naturally gravitated towards it. I played a couple sports in high school and it kind of got to the point where they wanted me to focus on one and I picked basketball. So that's kind of where I landed, but I just naturally went that way. So it was cool. What was the process like going from high school to college, right? You've got that uh, whole recruiting process, the transition, and then from college to becoming a professional player overseas, there's that element of, am I good enough? Can I do this? How do I, how do I get a job, right? Like you think about all the things that we've talked about on the podcast, as far as networking and getting jobs, like how does it work as collegiate player trying to figure out going how, how to go overseas? Yeah, so I actually, my route was a little bit unconventional as like a typical person that probably would go overseas, but the school that I went to was an NAI school, so it was a little bit smaller, not necessarily like mainstream TV with all, you know, games and everything, but I think it kind of clicked with me. Um, After my senior year, I got invited to um, some exposure camps. And I was like, okay, well, maybe I am good enough for this. And I had a rough college career. Like I definitely was successful, but I didn't make it through a season without an injury. So I didn't feel like I really reached my full potential. And I had, you know, I had a lot left in me that I still wanted to play and I still kind of had that drive. So I ended up going to some of these exposure camps and whether or not they were worth it I'm not sure but it was still good to like get out there and I did really well at them um if nothing else I I got some film but once I got to the point where I knew I wanted to play overseas I was sending hundreds of emails a day I don't even know if I was sending them to the right people but I was sending out my highlights um like my sprinting times 
and some other stuff like that. And, you know, it only takes one, but I didn't really hear back. And I actually got my first job because of someone that I know um, through like the Phoenix area, because I was playing on like a semi-pro league out here. Um, so that's how I got my first job. Um, after that, I ended up having an agent that helped me with my next jobs, but it was definitely not an easy route. Um, lots of grinding and lots of networking, like you said, and just kind of collecting the film and sending it out. But um, I'm thankful for it. Like it was, it was definitely a grind for sure. And walk us through a couple of the countries you got to play in. I mean, I think, you know, when you, when you go play overseas, right, it's not only just the experience on the court, but also off the court in terms of the cultures that you're living in and a part of and teammates that you have. And uh, just talk, talk us through a little bit of that unique experience and um, what you've been able to learn from it. Yeah, for sure. So I played in Mexico, Portugal, Germany, and Spain. Um, probably like living wise, my favorite place to live was in Spain because I was outside of Barcelona a little bit. Um, and club wise, my favorite place was Mexico. I really enjoyed that club and my team and everything in all places, every place that I played had pros and cons for sure. Um, but the culture, I mean, it was always, it was always, um, a little bit of an adjustment for sure. But, um, I guess like, for example, in Spain, I never really got adjusted to the time because, I would, I think I went to bed usually around two, wake up around one or so, but then they had a siesta at two. So I could never go get food, but we had late practice. So I couldn't like, I don't know. It was just getting adjusted to little things like that. Um, figuring out like, okay, everything's closed at two o'clock in the afternoon. You're just not really used to that here in the States. So little things like that was always an adjustment, but um, everywhere I was, I kind of made sure um, to you know, figure out my surroundings, figure out restaurants I like to go to, um, or just other spots when I didn't have like basketball stuff going on that I could enjoy. Um, but I really, I did try to embrace the culture. I probably could have done better, but at the same time, I just wasn't like, I wasn't in the touristy mindset when I was over there. It was just grinding, playing basketball and, um, but I met some amazing people and I got to experience a lot of cool things. And the basketball side of stuff was a lot different over there too. Just, you know, the style of play and getting used to teammates and coaches yelling at you in foreign languages. It was, it's definitely an experience for sure, but I enjoyed it. Did you take any, any foreign language classes prior to having gone overseas? I didn't. We, in high school, we did have to take foreign language. I think I took French, but that didn't really do me very well. When Mexico and Spain. No, I don't, I don't think so. Right. <laughs> but uh, I did get to the point, like I did what I could order at a restaurant just fine. And I knew basketball terms. So I was getting by. I was, I was fine. Hey, as long as you can eat and and uh, you knew you knew the terms on the court, I think you were think you were good. When you think about the, you know, process of going from one team to another, right? Like it's you don't know if you're going to continue with that team, so you're kind of keeping your eye out for other opportunities, right? Whether it's uh, through your agent or or just yourself. Um, 
you know, for anyone listening to be able to relate, it's all same, just different context, right? And so you're kind of thinking about what's your what's your growth, your sustainability, your long-term viability with that team, right? Like what's the next opportunity? Um, different skill set for sure, right? Uh, you know, than, than what you're doing now. But how did you think about that process when you were going through it? Like what was... Um, what was the preparation? What was what was it like to try and build relationships while you were playing? I mean, I, I imagine somewhat difficult. Yeah. Um, so I guess earlier when I was playing, I still kind of had in my mind, okay, where's the next job going to be? Um, so at that point, it was really like collecting film, organizing film, making highlights, uh, getting stuff to my agent. Um, and kind of marketing myself that way. But once I got later to like the later point in my career, I still definitely wanted to have, you know, my film and everything organized, but it was kind of like, okay, what's the next chapter? And um, I, I definitely made it a point to, you know, I had my college career or my college degree. So that's always a good thing to have in your back pocket. But at the same time too, like I needed to start um, networking as far as like what was the next step. So um, kind of always keeping that in mind as well um, when I was playing and just making sure that I keep some doors open with that. When you think about the identity component of transitioning and being ready to transition, right? And, and think about the career side post playing at some point it ends for everybody. How did you go about that transition? What was the biggest struggle? How, you know, what was, what was tough about it? And, and for those listening as like a student athlete, you know, even going into just the working world, right. Of transitioning. Uh, we've had, you know, a couple of people on that. It was like, you know, they, they remember we did an episode with Brooks Neal and, you know, he was talking about how they won the championship in lacrosse at Syracuse and it was great. And then that was the last game. And he's like, shit, I got to go find a job now. Right. And he, and he wasn't prepared. So what was that experience like for you? How did you go about the transition? Yeah. I mean, I truly never thought I would be done playing basketball and I do still play. Um, it's not obviously as often as I used to, but I really never thought I would be done, but uh, my last season in Spain, I broke my ankle pretty bad. And I was like, that's it. Like I I'm done. I remember going off the court and I was like, I just can't anymore. It, it I've hurt my ankle so many times, but this time in particular, just like it hurt really bad. And so I was like, that's it. Like I gotta be done. I went out, I sacrificed my body. Like I used to not care about injuries, but this time I was like, I just, it's, it's different. Um, but yeah, the transition's tough. Cause I mean, being an athlete your whole life, you kind of have that structure you have like, okay, you wake up, you go to weights, then you have practice. Um, then you take a nap, then you have practice again, or, you know, you just kind of have that built-in structure. You have, um, built-in friends with your teammates and you guys just kind of all hang out. And then all of a sudden, like you said, it just kind of stops. Um, so yeah, it's tough for sure. I'm not even going to lie, but um, I, I was still working like kind of part-time while I was playing. Um, so that was good, but I did, like I said, I had my degree to fall back on. Um, 
so I did that. But once I really got into the working world, I realized that what I had studied in college definitely wasn't for me because I had never really taken the time to explore. Um, so after after playing, I had to like sit down and kind of just like have a talk with myself, like, what am I going to do? What, like, I knew I needed to, wanted to be in athletics. And um, so just like really taking that time to explore what was best for me. Um, Cause I didn't have a ton of guidance as far as like where I would thrive. Um, so that was tough for sure. But you identify, I know I did, I identified myself so much with the sport and it's never, it was never me. It was just like what I did, but still it was, it was really tough to like make that transition. When you had those conversations with yourself to understand kind of what was the best next step? What what were the things that you were good at, right? Or, or, or interested in, or whatever the case was, like, what were some of the questions you asked yourself as it related to the career component, um, especially as you were, you know, mentioning it, your college degree major wasn't necessarily what you were going to fall back on as far as uh, a career path. Yeah, it was mainly like exploring what else I, what else I'm good at. Cause I, I take pride in that I can wear multiple hats. So I don't want to be one dimensional. I never want to have to only have one form of income or only be good at one thing. So really taking the time to explore other things that I'm good at and um, just kind of asking myself like what I want to do long-term, but still kind of staying in the sport. Cause I do love basketball and I love being able to like help other people with basketball. Cause it's given me so many opportunities as far as not only just travel, but like I've met lifelong friends through basketball. Um, and it's given me a lot of, uh, tools for the rest of my life in like other, other areas. So, um, kind of sitting down and taking all of that to heart because I, some of the experiences that I've had people, like not many people get the chance to have. So using that to my advantage and also being able to help like other people in the process, I guess was kind of stuff that I had to sit down and really consider. Which ultimately led you to huddle. So for those listening and they go, what is huddle? Like H-U-D-D-L-E? Like how do you, you know, and you go, no, H-U-D-L. It's massive. Uh, As you think about the experience that you've gotten over the last couple of years and um, helping people through the process, what's, what led you to huddle? And then what are you doing now? How could somebody get involved? Um, What do they not know about working in sports outside of just the major four pro sports teams and college sports? Yeah, good question. So I kind of, I've always known about Huddle. I went to school in Nebraska and it's a Nebraska company. So I had always known about it. And then I've also used it a little bit as an athlete and when I helped coaching. So I was familiar with the platform, um, but that was kind of what it was. Like I didn't really think anything else of it. Um, But one of my girlfriends works there and um, they actually opened a Phoenix division and she would always say, you know, you'd be so good for huddle. And I was like, I don't know, like, I just don't have any experience in that. Like it was technically a sales position. And I was like, yeah, sales is definitely not me. 
Um, but I ended up applying and I didn't get the exact position that I applied for. They kind of worked me into where they thought I would fit well. Um, and it worked out great. I really enjoy it. Um, it's very nice to be in athletics and just kind of around, like, I guess, like-minded people that kind of understand certain things. So, but, um, yeah, I, uh, I'm able to use some of the things I learned with like playing, um, and kind of translate that into the working world and use it at huddle. So I've kind of used that to my advantage too. From a huddle perspective, if you could give a snapshot of, hey, here's what they do for the industry, um, the main things that they're contributing to the ecosystem, impacting people with, like, what are those couple of things? Yeah, that's, there's actually, so I, I am a huge advocate for huddle because honestly, like when I was playing I was using, I think I used like Windows Media to cut my film. And looking back, I don't even know how I did that because the, I think I was pulling from like DVDs and like just random stuff, organizing it on Windows Media. And I'm like, man, kids these days have it so easy. Um, but honestly, Huddle is just like an amazing tool with, uh, it just, it streamlines everything. You can have it all in one place. Um, whether it's recruiting highlights, um, film review, um, education, coaches education, it's in one spot. Um, and for me personally, like sports and athletics has given me so many opportunities. I mean, like I've traveled the world, I've met amazing people, I've experienced so much. Um, so why not like have that for other people too? I just, the things that sports can do for people is beyond whether you're playing or whether you're networking or even like enjoying a sporting event, you know, there's, there's so many things there. So yeah, huddle just gives, I think the biggest thing for me that I really appreciate about huddle is it's just opportunity. And you know, that D one kid, that's really good they're going to get recruited regardless, like D1 caliber kid, but maybe there's someone, maybe there's an athlete that's could play at the next level, but they're not getting that same exposure. Um, that's another great thing that huddles for good for too. Cause you know, they might not even think I could play at the next level, but if they are having all these recruiting tools and they have these tools to create highlights and reach out to coaches and um, that gives them that next step opportunity, even if it's like, you know, they really want to go to school and get a degree in a certain thing, but um, maybe they can't afford it, but basketball can help pay for it or soccer can help pay for it, you know, so that's another great thing with Huddle too. The work still has to be done in terms of sending out your highlights, posting them to YouTube, all that, all that stuff that goes into it. I think back to uh, my recruiting process. And it was a handheld camera that caught one of my outings. And then I put that on YouTube and then I sent the YouTube link with, you know, hundreds of emails, right. To different coaches. And um, eventually it stuck with one, as you mentioned, you know, the, you know, all you need is one and that one couldn't get into the school. How about that? And then he goes, well, he goes, here's, here's the deal. I, you know, there's only so much I can do. And you needed like a 32 on your ACT to get into that school. So that was, um, I think I got like a 28 or 29. So it's, it's, it, it was a little bit of a stretch, but 
he goes, well, I played at this other school down the road. You should talk to this coach. And then that's how I got to Redlands. And so, you know, it's interesting, right? When you think about just going through that process, um, I think I had hired someone at the time to like help put the film together and like create all that stuff. But now there's tools uh, like Huddle to, to do that all for you. Um, but I think that the process as a whole, right, is continuing to uh, get better for, for individuals who just don't simply have the resources or know-how or they're in, you know, cultures that maybe that's just, that's just not the thing that everybody's doing, right? They're not, you know, trying to get to the next level per se, and it's, and it's just purely a part of their life. Um, when you think about the, the sports ecosystem, though, and how many different people you're working with in, you know, in and around Huddle and, and all of these different entities, like there's so many more opportunities tangential to sports, we'll call it, right? Like there's between the technology side um, and then even all the different partners that you work with and, and the ecosystem of high school sports to club sports to AAU to all, you know, all these different places, like what have you learned in the last couple of years, getting exposure to all of that and, and all of the different people working in, in our industry? Yeah. Um, I've learned a lot. Um, and I guess some of the things that's really cool too, is that there's potential for like positions in the sports industry that you and I might not even know about. Like there's room to create, I guess. So that's really cool. And there's lots like sports are changing so much. Like even for example, NIL and within like the past few years, like stuff like that's going to keep happening and doors are going to keep opening. Um, but I've learned, I think I've just learned that it's like ever changing and there's, there's so much that we, there's just so many opportunities with it. Um, but I've met some really cool people and like hearing people's stories and where their, their backgrounds and, um, what they can give to the sport, like sports and athletics is, it's really cool, um, to go about that, but, um, just the ever-changing potential and opportunities is, it's really cool to be around and, um, it's only going to get better. I think one of the things I've taken away from the conversation, right, is like when you ask someone, hey, why do you want to work in sports? Typically, it's, uh, you know, from a college student it might, or high school student, it might be like, well, you know, they like fantasy sports or they, they're a fan of the team or whatever the case is. But you've explained everything in which, you know, not only the sport has done for you and your experiences, right, but how you can help provide those for others, the lessons that you've learned along the way, the travel that you've been able to get a, be a part of, um, the people that you've met along the way, the relationships, all of those different things that are all intertwined. I think you said at one point, like-minded people that just understand, you know, the world that, that we all live in, uh, in, in the sports world, right. And kind of, uh, the competitive nature, the like-minded, um, you know, mindsets in that sense. So as you think about um, how you continue to, you know, you mentioned, hey, you know, not just being one source of income, one person, one job, right? When you think about how you diversify yourself and grow, like what are, what are the things that you're, whether it's coaching, whether it's um, mentoring people, like what are the things that you're doing that you enjoy on the side uh, as, as that fun side hustle? Um, that you continue to evolve? 
Yeah. Um, well, I learned really quickly that coaching wasn't for me. Um, I definitely tried it though, but definitely not for me. Um, but I do really enjoy, um, the development side. So like skill development. Um, so every once in a while I'll help, you know, like train kids and stuff. I do enjoy that. Um, one of my friends and her husband have, um, a basketball like camp that they do every summer. So I, I like to help with that as well. Um, but outside of basketball, I, I am a creative person. So I try to tap into that as well. Um, I actually ended up getting another degree after school um, to kind of explore that more in graphic design. So I really like to create shirts and um, like uh, logos and um, marketing collateral kind of stuff like that. So I keep, I keep myself, you know, creatively active with that. Um, I also enjoy painting a lot too. So outside of basketball, I, those are kind of the things that I gravitate towards, but, um, I keep myself busy with, um, just kind of staying in the sport as far as like helping with train and stuff. And then, um, the creative side as well. Um, so that's kind of what's worked for me. Yeah. I think the, the creative side's interesting, right? Like you know, not to be one dimensional, as you mentioned, um, you don't necessarily have to have something that generates money per se on the side, but having a different passion, something totally different, something totally outside of your day to day can help continue to push you to grow on not only the personal side, but the professional side as well, right? You never know how you might be able to help somebody in your job from the creative lens, even though they had no idea that you had those skills, right? As, as you work towards um, different things in your career. Um, as we start to wrap up the episode, you know, the, the identity component now of, of working in the, in the industry, um, thinking about how you take your experience and tell your story to others, right? To be able to sell yourself going from one place to the next. Um, what are the things that you think about uh, in, in taking from your experience and telling that story of who Teresa is and um, you know how you position your, yourself ultimately to get into the workplaces you did with Huddle? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. So I guess what I've kind of done is I've, when I sat and kind of, you know, thought over everything that I've went through with basketball and everything like that, I, I really realized that a lot of stuff that I learned in basketball and a lot of the skills are very translatable, especially into like the corporate world. So um, for me, I'm really competitive. And then it's like looking at, okay, how can I hone that in at my job in like a healthy way? <laughs> um, and then same thing too, like being a team player, um, those communication skills, but then also that work ethic, like I'm never going to do anything halfway. Like I'm always going to do everything my best, even if I'm not good at it, I'm going to fail hard and then learn from it and keep growing. So using stuff like that, that I've learned over the years with basketball is I can translate it into essentially anything that I do, but right now, especially in the corporate world. Um, and I always think that being like former athletes, there's so much more, they can be like really marketable um, in the next chapter of their lives because they have some of those skills. 
um, those life skills that you learn from sports. So um, like I said, that work ethic and com competitive nature, um, most of the time pretty structured, organized. So yeah, I'm, I think that's, that's always, it's okay to like healthy brag about yourself when you go into the interviews with, you know, corporate and all that stuff. Yeah. Cause sometimes there's, there's the call it no experience, right? It's like, how do yeah. you get over, how do you get over the hurdle of the, the resume per se, right? And you, and, you know, how do you tell that story? Yeah. Um, so that's very true. Cause a lot of them, you know, they're entry level jobs, but they want experience. And it's like, okay, well, I've been playing basketball in Europe for the past five years. Like, I don't really know what to tell you, but I mean, I, I just know that I'm, I'm always going to outwork the next per the person next to me. Um, maybe I won't be better than them necessarily, but I'm always going to try my best and outwork them if needed. Um, but I, I really took the time to polish my resume and use the words in a way that I can translate it into other things. So that's helped me a lot. Um, and it's kind of, you know, just helped me transition that way. The last thing I have for you before we get to a quick rapid fire, um, as, as hopefully, hopefully, uh, you're prepared for that one. Um, Oh, you're not. Oh, sorry. Um, you know, when, when you think about the really the process of going through the sports industry at you know a point in which technology is continuing to be um, integrated, right? Like in, into different parts of the industry as a whole. Like, what do you see the area in which you live in, right? The youth sports uh, landscape, whether it's, you know, to your point about NIL and, and, and whatnot, what, what's the next area that technology gets integrated into, whether it's the recruiting process, even more so, uh, whether it's the training component, um, what, what are some of those things that you would, you would say? Um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely ever evolving. I think it's going to get to the point where, you know, we can really track everything with these athletes. There are a few things in the market now that are wearable. So athletes can have them on them while they're working out or, um, recovering or whatever. And it, it, you can gather so much data from that stuff, whether it's like heart rate, um, their output of energy and, I think stuff like that is probably going to start being utilized even more, um, even, you know, with like recovery process or, um, you know, people coming back from injuries um, and testing like strength and stuff like that. So I think that stuff's going to be um, probably more prominent, but you know, I think a lot of people just really like the film and the highlights too. So that stuff's going to keep getting better as well. But yeah, I'd say probably the wearables and highlights, those aren't going away. What wearable, well, we'll let's kick off the rapid fire with this. What wearable did you wish you had given all the injuries you had? Gosh, probably Wemoo. What is that? It's a huddle product, um, measures all the, you know, heart rate, um, energy output, stuff like that. Okay. All right. 
um, injury that you've had along the way that you wish you didn't have? Oh, man. At the time, I wish I didn't have any of them. But looking back now, it's crazy how timing works out. But um, probably when I broke my foot my senior year because I was averaging 20 points and about to be All-American and the timing was just really rough. So I didn't really get to finish my senior season strong. So I'd say broken foot. It was a Liz Frank fracture. I don't know if people are familiar with that, but a lot of times those are like career ending. You have to get your foot fused. So I was fortunate I didn't, but that was rough. Wow. Um, favorite physical therapy exercise? Favorite physical therapy exercise? Um Probably um, anything with BFR, it's uh, that has really helped my knees a lot. So that's what I'm going to go with. It's blood, blood flow restriction. Look at that. Look uh, up, yeah. <laughs> all right. Last two for you. Best country uh, that you got to play in either on the, on the road or at home. Um, the best country I've ever played in. Um, Probably, probably Spain. I'd go with Spain. All right. What were you, what were you as a player? Guard, forward? I was a shooting guard, but if you needed me to do something, I could do it. Okay. Well, what position would you have wanted to play? Could you not play shooting guard? Um, probably a point guard. Okay. Directing? Yeah. Graphic? You wouldn't yep. want to be, you wouldn't want to be a uh, power forward. You know, I don't think so. I, I more so like to initiate and kind of be the floor general. So that that's kind of more so what I would lean towards. Love it. Well, Teresa, really appreciate the time, the perspective, sharing your story, uh, hopefully an inspiration and learning for others uh, that are either, you know, current student athletes, uh, other professional athletes making the transition um, into the working world and figuring out how to stay within the sports landscape uh, and take their skills and transition into, um, you know, doing something different, but also uh, in the same space. So really appreciate the time. Yeah, of course. Thank you, Jake. Thanks for tuning into today's episode on the Life in the Front Office podcast presented by Suja Organic. Remember to leave a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Subscribe and follow us on LinkedIn and Instagram at Life in the Front Office. And don't forget to get your 15% off Suja at sujaorganic.com with the code LIFO, L-I-F-O. And stay tuned for next Monday's episode with a new guest and new content.